0: Welcome to Strange Coordinates, the show where we use brands as roadmaps to arrive at surprising and fascinating places.
1: I'm Topher Burns. And I'm Robert Balog. Topher and I founded an advertising agency of all things called Territorial after lifetimes of working with some of the biggest and best-loved brands. We help brands find their place in the world, and we do that by exploring how history and culture and consumer desire all kind of bounce off one another to reveal truths and new insights about what's cool about being human.
0: That's right. This is literally what we do for fun. Every episode, one of us gives the other a brand to explore, and that person has to trek into the wilderness and come back with the story that they find to be most compelling. Could be fun, could be scary, weird, anything. It's using brands as compass points to discover more about the world around us.
1: So, normally that would happen at the end of an episode, but since this is the very beginning of our journey on Strange Coordinates, this is day one. Original. We've gone ahead, original. We've gone ahead and recorded that at an earlier time. So, Tover had time to do his, his research. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should be. This is a good one. Um, so, this is a brand that you've probably experienced a ton in your life, but have never deliberately purchased yes. this is just a, a speculation it's a brand that you probably only see about once a year okay uh, it's a brand that has um carries with it a title you are to address it a certain way oh. um and it's a um it's a brand that's been around for a really long time um, and has made its way into your halloween basket every single year it's one and only mr good Bar. Whoa. What's up with Mr. Goodbar?
0: Oh my God. I'm so no excited idea. to find out. Dusty Completely. peanuts and some like, yeah. cheap ass chocolate. But I really, exactly. it's it, of the like stale Hershey's standard mix. Mr. Goodbar is the one I go to. You don't go crackle? I go crackle. Mm-mm. No, my, right. my mom was a crackle gal. Uh, yeah. But nah, it's not uh, Mr. Goodbar I prefer. Mr. Goodbar, who is she?
1: I mean, what is that all nice. about? I don't, I, yeah, I have no idea. I'm really excited to, to see what you bring back.
0: Her intrigue, her... Yes. Yes, okay, this is exciting. Her love of yellow.
1: Her yeah, of the... <laughs> yeah.
0: The color, the colorway is really interesting. The branding feels very heritage. Yeah. Like, like you said, yellow is not a color that we use in candy anymore.
1: Like, not
0: really. It's not really like a... I don't know, like it's, I'm not, I'm not, sh- to me it doesn't communicate like, eat this, it's gonna be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> like I look yeah. at it, it looks like a warning, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this, this has acid in it, don't, don't mm-hmm. open it, you know? Completely.
1: Oh, okay. So Topher, super, super excited to see where you took this. I love what we're doing here. I love uh, the, the, the mystery behind the man, Mr. Goodbar.
0: Yes. And uh, I just want a teensy bit of props because, you know, I've been thinking a lot about like what's episode one outfit that I should be wearing. Mm. I went Mr. Good Bar Yellow.
1: I love it. Huge, huge props on that. I somehow complained about what I was wearing when we had our our um, failure to launch session. And now I'm wearing the exact same yes, thing. Yes, so, I yeah. noticed that this morning.
0: <laughs> you were like, oh, I'm definitely not going to wear this to the recording. And then Yeah. You- did wear this to the court.
1: To, I will say this, it's just a different cream-colored sweater. It's not the same cream-colored sweater. It's really? just a different one. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, this is this one is a little bit, this is a cotton weave. The other one was a wool.
0: Ah, uh, Just a little bit more breathability to get more some naturalness into the vibe for today's podcast. I,
1: yeah, I figured we we're going to need it. We're going to be doing some real exercise on this one.
0: I love it. OK, yes, and let's actually get into that exercise. So Mr. Goodbar is actually about to celebrate its centennial. Um, they founded the company, the brand in 1925, which mm-hmm. is a long time ago for candy. You know, like we're used to thinking of the stuff that pops up in, like, you know, our cabinets or our trick or treat bags as being something that's like fairly relevant. But this right. is a very, very old brand.
1: Yeah, um, and it somewhat kind of shows a little bit. <laughs>
0: Fair, <laughs> yes, it is visually appreciable in the in the design. <laughs> And we're gonna, you know, I think that's a really important component um, of the brand in general. Um, mm-hmm. If we if we think about kind of like the uh, impact on the business side of Mr. Good Bar, it is the 27th best-selling candy in the Hershey's portfolio. This yeah. is behind products that you've never heard of. I was reading some of these and it was like, Dagoba and Zangaboo, literally call it? Is above Mr. Goodbar in terms of amount of volume that they move? Right. So a brand named after the fact that you can't really remember what its name is. Yes. Got so it. So it's not an economic powerhouse by any means. But what you mentioned in terms of the looks, the aesthetic, the what it looks like, is uh, actually really still very resonant. Uh, there are deadstock teas from the 80s and 90s of Mr. Goodbar that are selling for hundreds of dollars on places like Poshmark. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: That iconic yellow is actually original. The thing that they started with, they have looked pretty much this way, red lettering on yellow, since Uh the beginning. Um, And it's something that people talk about Hershey's as being really good at, is like maintaining heritage brands and stuff like that. But um, I think the story of Mr. Goodbar is interesting because it's a product and a a brand whose cultural impact drastically outweighs its actual economic impact. And I have a theory as to why
1: that is. That's amazing. So I may be jumping ahead here, but in my mind there was just a, a one person at Hershey's for whom Mr. Goodbar was sort of the brainchild. Is that a, like I'm imagining somebody who's like, I've Eureka, you know, running through the halls of Hershey's, which is probably like a really dour-looking version of Willy Wonka and waving a miniature candy bar in, in his or her hand, saying, I think I've cracked the nut, as it were. <laughs> is that is that in any way true or no?
0: So that's actually you're actually not far off from how it started. They hired a chemical engineer to help them tweak their formulas. He slowly rose up the ranks and became somebody that pulled together uh, new ideas of candy bars and put them in front of Mr. Hershey. And um, this gets us to the laughably stupid origin of the name Mr. Ooh, okay. Good Bar.
1: Yeah, this is the one that really got me, that really got me started on this whole Okay, thing. so you know it. No, 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 just the fact that like why does this have a name? Why does it have a title first of all and then what is this name, where did it come from?
0: Right, exactly. He has an honorific in his name. Yeah. And then the name itself is stupid. It's Bodie McBoatface, but for candy. <laughs> so <Yeah. clears throat> the origin is this. The chemical engineer was uh, showing Mr. Hershey, who apparently was a little hard of hearing by the the mid-1920s. Yeah. And... Uh, they're just going down the line, like try X, try Y, try blah, 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 a number of different ones. And as he's crunching on this confection of peanut and milk <laughs> no. chocolate, the person who is showing him this goes, oh, that's a good bar. And he goes, hmm, I like this. You, you say it's called Mr. Good Bar? And
1: oh, come on. That's the, that's the beginning I mean, of the name. I'm here for it. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm <laughs> celebrating it. I think that's fantastic, actually.
0: Yeah. So it's basically like trying to explain candy to your grandma and then, then somehow that becomes the name.
1: Mr Hershey who spent, you know, too many years in a, you know, industrial settings of giant chocolate mixers, his poor hearing had suffered and as a result of his suffering, you know, his chocolate was birthed into the world and then this beautiful accident happens as well. I think it's kind of poetic and brilliant to be honest with you. Yes. Now <clears throat> that takes us very quickly
0: to the next area of Mr. Goodbar's origin that I think is fascinating. And in fact, Mr. Goodmark might not be a product today, and in many of Hershey's created a ton of products back then when they were creating things, and most of them have not stood the test of time. The reason why Mr. Goodbar is still around is because not long after its creation, we entered a little uh, economic sadness time. <laughs> Called, small hiccup. Yeah, little, little <laughs> small fiscal hiccup, little blip, uh, <laughs> called the Great Depression, and candy up to that point hadn't been sort of a ubiquitous piece of uh, American consumption. It was actually thought of as things like to be given to children every now and then, uh, or things that um, you know were for the old. It w- candy wasn't thought of as like a thing that everybody eats all the time. Yeah. When we entered the Great Depression, candy started being marketed as a meal replacement for people who <laughs> could not afford actual food. Uh-huh. So, if you see old ads of Mr. Good Bar, they price check, it says 5 cents, and the next thing they say is a tasty lunch. And so, wow. Mr. Good Bar was given a it really helped pull Hershey's through the Great Depression by being a meal replacement. Their slogan was quick energy in every bar.
1: Huh. I mean, so they were like the Cliff Bar of the Great Depression, basically.
0: Yeah, but cheap. Not yeah, like, super cheap. Not like $8 in an airport
1: newsstand. And this, like, people weren't thinking like, oh yeah, it has protein and calcium. They weren't, that's not, that wasn't in the public consciousness yet. It was just sort of like, it's got some nuts, it's got some dairy. They did, I It'll, think. I think that the peanut thing was,
0: understandable at the consumer level as something that would be more substantive than just chocolate, because the other uh, candy bar that was exceptionally popular as a meal replacement during this time was Payday. And not only does it have a name that appeals to the beleaguered in the Great Depression, but it's also mostly peanuts. It's peanuts formed around a little tiny core of that like nougat and caramel.
1: Yeah. And now is when Payday comes in and hijacks this whole episode and all of a sudden we're like, we're, we have split allegiances and we're going to form armies around Payday and Mr. No. Absolutely yeah,
0: not. Cameo okay. moment. Payday exits to the left. Thank you very much. They help prove your point, though, about Peanuts. <laughs> Love it. So the A Tasty Lunch was kind of their first really popular slogan, which is just twisted. Um, yeah. They've... As uh, you know, they have migrated their way through a variety of other slogans uh, as they have matured. Um, That's a good bar. You know, somebody got paid money to write (laughs) that one. Um, Quick energy in every bar, as we were talking about. Uh Then they start to invest a little bit more in quality. Good peanuts and good chocolate make a very good bar. Um and that kinda takes us into the eighties and then into the nineties with a nuttier bar for nuttier times.
1: So I can't recall ever having seen a Mr. Goodbar commercial or advertisement. I
0: I, I feel like I must
1: have, right? Like I
0: didn't either. I definitely remember the whatchamacallit ad, right? Like who for, sure. for what the yeah. do? whatchamacallit, you know, with that like <laughs> Liechtenstein yeah. style animat- animation and stuff like that um yeah the i didn't either but there were ads um they were kind of like by the 80s and 90s the ads were sort of trading on a lot of the nostalgia Um yeah. and then by the time they got to nuttier bar for nuttier times it was clear that they were trying to be like well we added more nuts which they did do and yeah. then let's refresh this baby and so they're like the 90s are wild Let's
1: let's show so, dogs. They so the '90s were '90s were a nuttier time. That's what they were th- saying.
0: Yes, and you know oh. nuttier than you know the '50s. I'm sure.
1: Hold they on were... to your top hat, Mister Goodbar, because I got to I got a decade to show you right now. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the depiction of like what's nutty is like a dog walking on his hind legs. Like that you know, crazy things are wild. Um, yeah. They all had baggy pants, even the. The like professionals had the kind of. I
1: mean, pretty accurate. That's yeah. fairly. That's a fairly good summation of the '90s. Dogs on their hind legs and baggy pants.
0: Yep. Yeah. They had Kurt, Kurt Cobain slide in there at one point. Uh, not actually. <laughs> that would be really good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. So that kind of like you you see that through the advertising, they're sort of like drawing you along on the the story of like nostalgia, et cetera. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but. For me, there's one other piece that really kind of reflects another aspect of why I think Mr. Goodbar is an iconic brand, why it's stuck around today, and why it has such a strong cultural impact. So, right, tell me. I'm going to take you back to the 70s. The, Mr. Goodbar was a going strong, very well-established brand, mm-hmm. um, maybe not the, the sexiest, um, but like still very well known still part of the public discourse and a movie comes out um starring diane lane also uh-huh. featuring um richard Gere. i was like who's that handsome dude
1: this is a power
0: couple here Jeez. yes and he wasn't the only guy the the movie is called looking for mr good bar <laughs>
1: uh-huh. when
0: i had never heard of it it came out at almost the exact, in the same year as Saturday Night Fever. And yeah. it was actually, interestingly, a reaction to very similar things that were going on in culture that Saturday Night Fever was responding to. Yeah. So this is where the story starts to get a little dark.
1: So, Ooh, okay, heads up. I mean, I assume that Mr. Goodbar had a dark period, right? Like we're, this is, behind, this is like VH1's behind the music. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah. Mr. Goodbar in the 70s got really fucking dark. I mean,
1: quaaludes, barbiturates, the whole thing, Mr. Goodbar could not get out of it.
0: It was he was he was saying yes to all the bad stuff. <laughs> so <clears throat> the movie is actually based on a book of the same name. It was a New York Times bestseller. And that book was a reaction about a uh, early, I think it was in uh, a 1972, stabbing death of a woman who lived on the Upper West Side.
1: Um, Let me look up her name. Wow, that is sordid. Our first episode, we have murder already? This is incredible. Yes. You're Um, really setting the bar too high. I mean, honestly, Topher.
0: Okay, her name was Roseanne Quinn. Um, She was a 27-year-old New Yorker. She was a teacher Um, and lived on the Upper West Side, which was not as nice as it is today, uh, back in the 70s. Once she was found dead, it really kicked up a cultural conversation um, about the forces that were happening in the world. This is a single young woman. She lives by herself. She's a teacher. She's well regarded. But as they dig into it and as details surface in the media, um it becomes clear from reports of her neighbors that she was a and friends that she was a very sexually liberated young woman and mm-hmm. so she seemed she was sort of a lady in the streets but when we got to the sheets things were a very different situation mm-hmm. and her neighbors had something to say about that and they eventually tracked down her killer he was a hustler he had his own sort of patron um and so He and she took up together that night at a bar. There were potentially, like, words shared. Maybe he was made to feel less than. Maybe she made some sort of comment about how he was, like, living with a dude or something. Yeah. Regardless, he ends up killing her. And then uh, before he can stand trial, he hangs himself because he's being portrayed as, like, a gay hustler in the media. And so it becomes this huge conversation uh, I around. I was
1: wondering when I was wondering when homophobia was going to yes, rear its head. Yes, yeah,
0: of course. Yes, because we're talking disco, right? We're talking the right. reaction to the liberation uh-huh. and stuff like that. This is exactly it. So it becomes a huge conversation around like, who are our women hanging out with? Uh, what are they allowed to do? And it was a, there's a really interesting uh, article that compares the the lessons. And the take of Saturday Night Fever and looking mm-hmm. for Mr. Goodbar on what's happening in culture at that time. Looking for Mr. Goodbar, Diane Lane doesn't make it out of that movie. But in Saturday I Night mean, Fever... I mean, we have to
1: do a spoiler alert here, Topher. We all have right. to, you, you have to kind of like spoiler alert that stuff. I
0: mean, it's a story of a woman getting stabbed to death. I already told you
1: she's dead. Sure. So, spoiler Fair. alert. Uh, she could have been the neighbor. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, Diane yeah. Lane could have been anybody in that movie. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yes, <laughs> fair. Uh, she's got she's got range. <clears throat> is what, I'm <laughs>
0: what she did, she was very well regarded for her performance. But we don't know the movie Mister Goodbar. We know, or the, looking for Mister Goodbar, we know the movie Saturday Night Fever, and it's iconic. And yeah. you know, there's a reason why um, we like to look back on the '70s and be like, oh yeah, you know, it's like disco dudes looking handsome and dancing and everything's fine. Like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Versus uh, looking for Mr. Goodbar is a very grim assessment of what comes of being sexually liberated.
1: So, Ktofer, what I have to ask, like, what is the role of Mr. Goodbar in this sordid tale? Exactly. That I'm, I'm really, that's the
0: question, right? Because I'm tunneling around in this world about sexual liberation and the terrifying impacts that that can have on a young woman alone. And uh, there's no exact quote that I could find from the author about why she used this uh, specific sort of brand and pulled it into this world that she's basing her story off of as she wrote this story of kind of like a fictional account of what actually happened to um, uh, a poor New York woman. Um, she didn't describe exactly why she used the candy bar, but what we do know is that Mr. Good bar was actually the name of the bar that this fictional character went to pick up her men at. So it was the neighborhood spot that she would swing through. And so there's a pun there in terms of just like, it's a good bar. Just the same as that pun happened way back, uh, in the origin of the bar itself with Mr. Hershey. So that's this little pun but then on top of it there's obviously a reference in the fictional world that she's creating where if she's saying looking for mr Goodbard, it's about going to pick up something cheap and easy swinging mm. by uh you know a nightclub and scanning for easy satisfaction and something sweet um but you know maybe you should be careful about the consequences
1: of right. what happens with such free fun also, one of the people in the story was the reanimated corpse of Mr. Hershey too, so that's a perfect, yeah, a perfect tie-in, which yeah. is, which is great. Yeah, but that's how that's but, why Disco got uh, not so fun because
0: they started bringing yeah. more corpses to the party.
1: Yeah, exactly. That tends to really put a damper on things. Yeah. Okay, so we've got we've got murder, we've got uh, gigolos, we've got um, yes. cheap and easy. Yep. And then all that makes its way into children's Halloween bags every single year, which is fantastic. Yes. So to me,
0: as I think about this, and why is Mr. Good Bar so iconic, so long lasting, such a part of kind of our cultural conversation. But at the same time, we don't buy this thing. Nobody Mm -hmm. ever thinks about going to the store and buying this but it appears in your Halloween bags. You don't question its presence and we all know it exists. And to me, I think the simplicity of the brand, the simplicity of the story, the simplicity of the product itself, all connect to and trade on this basic idea around easy satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so enduring because it's so simple to understand. It speaks directly to something that you physically and deeply know, that feeling of like, oh, I'm a little hungry. I'm going to have something that feels a little substantial. It's not feels like a treat, but it actually is like, it's going to be good for me. And I think that um, it getting mixed up in cultural metaphors shows that too, that it's a really easy value to bring into a conversation. That little, little hit that you need that makes you feel like, uh, you know, you got what you want.
1: Yeah, amazing. All right, I want to go back to the '70s and the the head-to-head battle royale between Saturday Night Fever and Looking for Mr. Goodbar. Yeah. So, Looking for Mr. Goodbar comes out. Mm-hmm. Did you find um, anything from from Hershey's uh, around it? Did they talk about the Did they talk about the movie? You know, because like I don't think that could happen now without a brand having a point of view on. You know, whether whether they'd either try to jump on it or distance themselves from it.
0: Right. So interestingly, it's a great question. Um, I didn't see anything in terms of like the brand trying to be relevant and involved in cultural conversations. And obviously, I don't know that they would want to have a point of view on the murder of an Upper East Side girl, Upper West Side. Um, but they, th- both of those movies actually did feature a type of marketing that we tend to think of as more modern in Mm -hmm. that when they came out they also very closely aligned themselves to the launch of songs that were pivotal in those uh movies so in Saturday Night Fever the um the 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 Bee Gees songs are really really crucial and play an important part in the movie and they aligned the launch of the movie and the launch of the Bee Gees album they tried to do the same thing with Mr. Goodbar and they aligned. And this is grim. Don't leave me this way. That like Oof. disco hit with yeah. the launch of Mr. Or looking for Mr. Goodbar. But I think A, the connection is sort of like bleak because it's basically about leaving a woman dead in an apartment to be discovered yeah. two days later. Um, so that's not as great. And even if you're not thinking murder, you're maybe thinking like being used as a sexual toy and discarded. Um, So it doesn't put a pleasant spin on what is Mm -hmm. otherwise kind of a fun disco song. But apparently they misaligned the timing so that the movie and the album didn't come out with enough synchronicity to like cause some good like market synergy. And so uh, Saturday Night Fever uh, was able to experience a bigger boost because of the like alignment Uh of the like sort of co-marketing.
1: Well, thanks, Mr. Goodbar, for making it all happen with a slight little bit of murder along the way and and a, a tasty dollop of nuts in there. Satisfaction dearly paid for. Satisfaction. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Well, that's crazy. Um, when I gave you Mr. Goodbar, I really didn't think we'd be talking about uh, barbiturates, the 1970s, homophobia, murder, gigoloism. So... Uh, definitely, definitely took us on quite a journey there. So next time, it's going to be my turn to take us off to somewhere into the unknown. Um, so Topher, what brand are you picking to send me off with? I'm really excited about this. So uh, mm. it's the time
0: of, you know, winter doldrums. People are feeling slow and kind sort of beat down, especially in New York. You know, and a New York winter is just—it's beautiful in December, and by the time you get into February, you are slogging. It's gross. Uh-huh. Uh, you hate your boots. You just—are you just so rubbing your West Coast, uh, your West Coast? No, no, no. I get, we get, in my face we got rain. Now, is that what's happening? We got rain out here too. So okay. believe
1: me, we feel the we feel the sads. I mean, first you screw up Upper East Side with Upper West Side. So we lost half our audience there immediately. And now you're just dumping on New York winters.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: sorry, <laughs> folks. Uh, but this brand isn't going to attract
0: any more of those people either. But I still think it's oh boy. worth looking into. If we're thinking about the antidote for the winter sads, uh-huh. I want you to look into Carnival Cruises.
1: <laughs> oh... Carnival Cruises. There's so much cruise in my life right now. Yeah. Which I should probably cr- clarify uh, given that we we're just talking about the series. I mean, don't um, clarify. Let people just ask <laughs> questions and blunder. Carnival Cruise Lines. Oh my lord. All right. I will set off to sea and come back with a treasure, as it were. Yes. Um, bounty. Booty. <laughs> I'll Come back with some booty. I'm going to go cruising for some booty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is going to be amazing. So for that, uh, join us next time. You've been listening to Strange Coordinates, the show where we use brands as roadmaps to arrive at surprising and fascinating places. Your hosts are Topher Burns and me, Robert Baylog. So to learn more about our agency territorial, go to our website at weareterritorial.com. Join our mailing list and follow us on LinkedIn.
0: Thank you so much, everybody. This has been fun. Can't wait to see you guys again soon. Thank you. Bye.
1: Cool. Yeah. Dude, that's a, I was not expecting the depth of that story. Good, right? Yeah. I always like, in my mind, I feel like I've created a scenario in which Mr. Goodbar is actually the the Tinder name or the Grinder name of the Monopoly Man. One hundred percent. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, the Monopoly Man and Mr. Goodbar are the same person. Yes.
0: Yeah. And when he's like cruising young boys down the shore, yeah, he yeah just calls himself Mr. Goodbar. One hundred percent. Exactly.
1: Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that's what. Uh, so we won't be working with the fine folks at Hershey anytime soon. This conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love you, Mr. Goodbar. You're fantastic. Thank you so much. You're delicious. Love your color. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! All right, I'm gonna I gotta go to the bathroom before this circle. Okay, cool. I'll see you later.